Welcome to Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education podcast for teachers and advisors, brought to you by UEA. Each month, we provide the latest information you need to guide your students through their journey to university, plus hints and tips to help support you in your work. We know you're busy, so we keep each episode to around 20 minutes, just long enough for a cup of coffee. So, pop the kettle on and let's get started. Hello listeners and welcome back to this month's episode of Nurturing Bright Futures, the higher education podcast for teachers and advisors produced by the University of East Anglia. On today's episode, we are joined by Zoe Jones, an academic writing and studying learning enhancement tutor who is here to talk to us about academic support here at UEA. Hi Zoe, lovely to have you on today. Would you mind introducing yourself before we get started? Thanks Natasha, it's nice to be here today. So I'm Zoe Jones, I'm one of a small team of enthusiastic tutors in the learning enhancement team here at UEA and we help to make students or help to encourage students to feel more confident about the way that they're studying. Amazing and thank you so much for joining us today. Firstly, it'd be great to get an overview of the main areas of academic student support that the university offers. Thanks. Yeah, well, all students will have support from a dedicated academic advisor who's based in their school of study. But other than that, the Learning Enhancement Team is a centrally based team, part of student services, and we offer three main kinds of support. We offer academic writing and studying support, so students can speak to those tutors, of which I'm one, about anything related to academic writing, planning their assignments, drafting their assignments, editing them and so on, making sure they're meeting the expectations of the assignment they've been set and then anything more generally around studying so we help students to develop good reading strategies getting themselves organized preparing for exams how to give presentations all of that kind of thing alongside that we have specialized tutors who can support students who have a mathematical or statistical element to their courses and students can go and speak to those tutors and help grow confidence in that area And finally, the third kind of support that we offer are around specific learning differences, things like dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism spectrum disorders, ADHD, dyscalculia, and students can speak to our specialist tutors and help develop confidence around uh, academic writing and studying in general. Perfect, thank you. And just in terms of specific learning difficulty support, as you've just mentioned... Are current or prospective students who may suspect that they have a learning difficulty but don't have a formal diagnosis also able to access this form of support? Yes, we encourage students to share with us any concerns that they might have as to whether they might be affected by neurodiversity or specific learning difference. We have a team of specialist advisors, SPLD, Specific Learning Differences Advisors, who can speak to students about that and help them to navigate the support that's available and the different systems that we have. At the university, we have our own neurodiversity screening tool. We don't expect students to have a formal diagnosis. If they do have a formal diagnosis already when they arrive at the university they can let us know about that and provide some kind of evidence to to show what that diagnosis is but if they don't have that then they can use the screening tool and the support that's available from our specialist advisors and if there are enough indicators there that they could potentially receive a formal diagnosis then we can put reasonable adjustments assessments adjustments in place and they can also receive support from our specialist tutors. That's perfect, especially with the um, waiting times that are on the NHS at the moment. That must be really helpful to a lot of different students. 
That's right. So it can really take that worry away that you don't have to get that formal diagnosis. You can just go through the university's screening process. And as long as there are enough indicators that you could potentially get a formal diagnosis, then we can give you exactly the same level of support as a student who arrives with a formal diagnosis or who gains a formal diagnosis while they're studying. Right. Thank you. And just about these forms of support in a little more generality, how do current students go about accessing these forms of support? And could you tell us a little bit about the flexibility of this support? For example, what sort of options are available in terms of one-to-one workshops, resources and all sorts of stuff like that? Sure. Well, we really make it part of our remit to make the support that we're offering as flexible and as accessible as possible to a really broad range of students and apprentices. Um, So we know that um, students can be very busy. They might have very demanding courses. They might have very demanding home lives as well. Perhaps they're working part time um, alongside their studying. So we provide different ways that they can um, interact with us. Often they will meet our tutors in workshops that are organised as part of the school-based provision. So we'll go along and we'll do a tailored session to a particular group of students, so they might meet us that way. If they want to access our support outside of their course of study then we have self-study resources on our pages on our portal our internal portal where students can kind of read information we have reading lists and things recommending really helpful books that can help develop their understanding of what they're expected to do and then alongside that we run regular drop-ins so weekly we have two academic writing and studying drop-ins we have two maths help desk drop-ins as well and students can just pop into these and meet our tutors they can bring along their work they can study in a supportive atmosphere or they can ask us questions and we can share strategies with them in that kind of quite informal atmosphere if they want more one-to-one support then they are able to book Uh, tutorial appointments these last up to 50 minutes and again in terms of flexibility and accessibility we offer those either in person in our dedicated space on campus or they can book them on teams and we try to offer them at a range of different times that will suit different kind of lifestyles and working patterns and so on so we do offer some slightly out of hours appointments or over lunch time that kind of thing great thank you And just lastly, what would be some advice for prospective students coming to UEA or any university in terms of accessing and making use of support like this? I would say definitely make use of all of the support that is available. We support students who are finding things challenging. They might be in difficulty. We also support students who are doing really, really well, but they want to continue doing so. So when you come to university, you hear a lot about independent learning, independent study. Yes, you are expected to do that, but you're not expected to struggle so always access support that's what it's there for it can be really helpful just to talk things through to kind of help grow your confidence I'd also say really take notice of what things before coming to university you're doing really well in terms of study strategies and the areas that you feel that you still need to grow your confidence and those are the things that we'll be able to help you work on and the final thing is to make sure that you're proactive in seeking out that support so whichever university you go to it's like likely that there'll be a team of tutors just like myself but it might be different from other learning experiences that you've had in that you won't necessarily 
be approached. You might get recommended by members of staff in your school, but still the expectation will be that you will proactively seek out that support. So please don't be afraid to. I'm sure you'll find that wherever you go, tutors will be very happy to help you and they'll be friendly just as they are in our team. Lovely. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining us today, Zoe. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Today, we are really lucky to be joined by Suzanne Doyle, a lecturer in international relations in our School of Politics, Philosophy, Language and Communication. Thank you for being on the podcast today, Suzanne. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your specialism within the subject and what drew you to international relations? Hello. Yes. So thanks for being here. Like you said, I'm a lecturer here in international relations. I teach on issues of war and security. My particular research specialism is broadening the kind of politics of nuclear weapons. How did I get to this point and why did I originally choose a degree in international relations? So I was always interested in politics as a child. I was one of those people who followed elections and stuff. And I took quite an eclectic range of A-levels, maths, physics, history and politics. So I did think about doing something more vocational, such as engineering, but I didn't really want to determine my career too much at that stage. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I wanted something that kind of opened doors and I wanted to do something that I really loved and found fascinating. I thought that would help me do better in my degree. And so I looked at different joint honours of politics and history and I decided to go for international relations and history because I like the focus on global political challenges, essentially. And I was a teenager during 9-11 the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, these kind of big global issues that we face. And I wanted to do something to try and understand them more and, and explore them. And I got to uni, the degree, and I really just loved it. I loved the subject, I loved the variety, its relevance to the contemporary world, and how it really challenged me in so many ways in my thinking and really developed my kind of skills of analysis and argument and thinking. So first things first, can you give us a little overview about the international relations courses that we have on offer at UEA, including the combined degrees that are also on offer? So we've got a lot of traits here. So you can do straight international relations, and then there's quite a few joint honours choices as well. So we have politics and international relations, which gives it a kind of nice combination, allowing you to explore the breadth of politics in the world and society. We have international relations and modern history which really go very well together, allows you to develop a broad range of skills of analysis and really thoroughly explore the world and its history. Then we have international relations with modern language, which is a great degree in a globalised world. And we now excitingly do all these variants with a placement year, where you would spend nine to 12 months of your third year in a placement and gain invaluable work experience, employability skills in a relevant area of your choice. And here you would find your own placement but with the support of the really exceptional UEA's Career Central Service here and the school itself. So there's a lot of choice about how you integrate this amazing subject that is international relations into your degree. Perfect, thank you. And what would you say are some of the opportunities that are available to any students on these degree programmes or the main things that they can expect to learn and experience on these degrees? So here I would, you know, say that there's just so many opportunities on these degrees that each person's experience is really going to be different. What's going to be shared, though, is a kind of developed skills in understanding the world and the challenges we face and how we might go about tackling them, which is just such an important skill set. Students will be learning, you know, not what to think, but how to think. 
So the skills of analysing sources for reliability, navigating your way through often contradictory research, learning critical analysis, so thinking about the underlying assumptions we can make about the world, policy, etc., and how this shapes things. You know, these skills are just so valuable. And I really, really think even more so in the world of artificial intelligence and, like I said, the global challenges we're seeing, the world of work and society itself needs people who can think and challenge, not just those who kind of nod along to the status quo. How can we set ourselves apart in the world of work when AI might be doing various things we did before? It's our skills of analysis and thinking. In terms of opportunities, there's a huge variety. Again, it depends really what the students' interests are. Maybe they'll take an active involvement in organising student debates on areas of politics of interest to them and get experience in event management through that. Maybe they will do one of our research assistant internships where they work alongside one of the lecturers on a research project. Maybe they'll do our activism module where they work with other students on a campaign for social change. Other students might do a semester abroad. UEA has a huge range of partnerships with universities abroad where students can go to do a semester in their second year. I was really jealous of where students go, Korea Australia, just so many different places. Or students might do a home placement module in their second year, which is available on all our modules and gives them an opportunity to do a placement in areas of culture and heritage. Or maybe they'll take advantage of the fact that UEA, they can take a non-credit language each year. You know, the opportunities available on these courses really are huge and it's up to everyone to make the most of it and they'll all have different experiences from that. And I guess going off of that as well, no two courses at every uni is going to be exactly the same. The modules are going to be different. The specialisms are going to be very different. So I guess my question is, what does the International Relations Department at UEA specialise in and how does this translate into the modules that are available? Yeah, that's a great point. So we try to cover the vast range that is the discipline of international relations in your first year or two to really give you a taster of everything there is and so that you can understand and explore a broad range of issues. And these could include international security, which is my specialism, international economy, how does international law work, the history of the international system, etc., etc., and then from your second year, this then allows you to specialise more once you've got a kind of more knowledge of what you find really interesting. And some things could include modules from our specialists on the Asia Pacific, such as modules on Japan, or we have a module on the politics of energy and climate change, or my module on weapons of war. So there's a lot of different areas you can go into and specialise depending on what your interest is. Lovely. And in terms of the classroom where the students are learning, what can prospective students expect in the seminar room or in their lectures? What are the traditional ways of learning or maybe the non-traditional ones on these types of programmes? So the traditional way of learning on these programmes tends to be lectures and seminars. So a student would be in a lecture with a whole module and then where the lecturer will talk through the key information And then the seminar would focus on a discussion of that topic facilitated by the reading the students done that week. And I also just think seminars are such an amazing place for learning these skills. Like I was really shy up until I went, I went to university and I really learned to speak and articulate myself in seminars. 
It's really important to emphasize across these traditional formats, there's still a huge variety in the teaching. So for example, I use a lot of games in my teaching within the seminars. Other people use debates or assessment workshops. Other people do workshops where they might be doing a podcast, etc. So we really adapt our teaching so that it's the best format for the student to achieve their learning outcomes. Similarly, there's a huge variety in the format of the assessment. So there is the traditional essay focused on the production of an evidence argument. But then you might also do policy briefs or podcasts or book reviews, blogs, presentations, etc. So again, we're really trying to develop lots of different skills in writing and communication across the degree. Perfect. Thank you. And from an admissions perspective, as our listeners are very likely to be advising current sixth form and college students, what are the qualities, knowledge or experience that this department looks for when offering places to its students? I think primarily we really want an interest in the subject. So an interest in international politics, you know, a student that reads the news and kind of wants to explore that arena in more detail. You know, people do so much better when they're doing something they're interested in. You know, it just provides so much motivation. And university is really unique and such a valuable opportunity to explore. And and so I, I just want students to do something that they would enjoy and gain the kind of intellectual benefits that that brings. So applicants can find our current entry requirements on the website. But what I would say is that we don't expect students to have a background in international relations or politics, such as an A-level or anything like that. Very little international relations is taught in schools and colleges anyway. So we know that the majority come with little theoretical knowledge of the subject. We really go through the foundations of the discipline in the compulsory modules in first and second years. So, you know, everyone is getting the same kind of foundational information. And so really we see a wide degree of educational backgrounds as beneficial. It really helps build the diversity of thinking in our classrooms. I would emphasize to any applicants that don't worry if you've not done politics or any related subject at school or college or whatever your background is. Because overall we really just want to see that interest in the subject. I think that's a really important point as well is that you don't have to have a background. For example, the course I studied I had absolutely nothing to do with at A-level. It was just something I was really interested in. And I think a lot of students don't really think about that when they're choosing what they apply for. Yeah, and it can seem scary when you're applying. You're thinking, I've never done this subject before. Will I like it? And I would say, you probably know if you like it because you've read around it. But, you know, also look at a lot of university courses. You can often change degree subjects within when you're there. Or you can do a joint honours and you kind of shape it to your interests, etc. So there's, there's a lot of variability actually in the courses and how you create them. Yeah, exactly. And just thinking about employability, where can a degree in international relations take you? I think a degree in international relations well, it does open a wide degree of doors. Um, and as I touched upon, you know, I think this is particularly valuable and growing even more so. If we look at employment these days... Uh, it's a world where people frequently now experience career changes. And so you want a broad range of transferable skills that allow you to navigate those changes and your career management. And we also, as we've touched upon, have the kind of potential impact of AI on the workplace and how 
you know, we're speculating here or I'm speculating about how is this going to change the skills that we need in the workplace. And I think international relations, a degree in international relations equips you well to navigate these changes. Like I said, it's a degree that teaches you about the world, about society and how to think. And this is something that employers look for in a very wide range of careers. They want people who don't just go in and say, yes, we'll do that. They want people to think about things and like, oh, no, we could do it this better, etc. So we have graduates that go into areas you would expect, such as the civil service, policy arenas, um, NGOs, security and risk-related jobs, but also things like PR, marketing, journalism, economics. The range is really quite something. But that really fits with what a degree in international relations and what a degree in in the humanities more broadly gives you. This is a really interesting careers report by the British Academy called Qualified for the Future. And it identifies the top skills to thrive in 21st century work. And these include accessing and analysing information, critical thinking and problem solving, curiosity and imagination, and effective oral and written communication. And this is really what a degree in international relations provides you. And those kind of transferable skills that we're going to need in the workplace of the future. And so I like the title of that report. It essentially makes you qualified for the future. Perfect. Thank you. And lastly, imagining you're at an open day or have just finished a taster lecture at a school and you have about 30 seconds to kind of tell them what the best things are about studying international relations at UBA, what is it that you would highlight? You know, mostly what I love about teaching here is the community. We're not a huge university. We get to know our students. I get to see their journey throughout their degree. And I think that's just such a valuable thing for students that can often get neglected when people are looking at their degree programs, that you want to feel part of a community, you want to be known, and, you know, being part of what is a smaller cohort here at uh, UEA does give you that. Great, thank you. And thank you so much for all of that information. Just to wrap up, if any of our listeners want to find out a little bit more about the department, its courses, or anything else that you've mentioned today, how can they get in touch or find out a little bit more information? So on the website, there's a Ask Us function. And there you can contact the school's admissions director, Maria Saban. And she can answer your questions. Or if she can't answer them, she'll put you in touch with one of us who can. You can also find the Department of Politics, Social and International Relations on X, which is formerly known as Twitter. And you can also check out our blog, Eastminster, which is a global politics and policy blog. Perfect. Thank you. Well, that's the end of all of my questions. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode, Suzanne. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this month's episode of Nurturing Bright Futures. We would absolutely love to hear from you. To book a visit, make a suggestion, or ask us a question, drop us a line at schools at uea.ac.uk. Thanks for joining us.